birthday hard. Happy feeding, we're not in Kansas anymore. Wish I knew how queens, isn't it? I'm gay. You can't love yourself. How in the hell are you gonna love somebody else? Can I get an amen? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Gay Card Revoked. I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Nikki Blonsky from Hairspray. <laughs> you, you, are, <laughs> you are not. You are a liar. Is That's correct. Can you, can you tell the listeners a little bit about why you've introduced yourself as Nikki Blonsky? Can I? From Hairspray. Well, first of all, hi, it's Robbie Roselle. And uh, hi, secondly, Robbie. I'm kind of sad that you didn't get me. That today's my birthday, and yes. you did not get me a cameo of Nikki Blonsky from Hairspray. Just babbling. So... When Hairspray came out, she suddenly would start to tweet all these like celebrities and semi celebrities and quasi celebrities. But every single tweet started with, Hey, Dua Lipa, uh, or you know, whoever was big at that time, <laughs> it's me, Nikki Blonsky from Hairspray. We should collab. Um, with truly anybody and everyone, and it's fascinating. Somebody did like a whole like screen grab of all of them, and it was a desktop wallpaper for a time. I think that's absolutely brilliant. They should do a whole podcast called Nikki Blonsky's Tweets, where oh. every episode is just a different tweet with that person. Just hey, see if it's, a collaboration it's ever It's Nikki Blonsky from Hairspray. The podcast. Sure. I Honestly, I'd rather have dramatic readings of Amanda Bynes' tweets from about seven years ago. But if we're going to go the Nikki Blonsky route, let's just go all in. Amanda was in my community theater production of The Secret Garden back in Thousand Oaks, California. Shut your mouth there you go that is a true it's a true story that's a true story i conejo players theater 1996 wait who was she she was mary lennox we have a secret garden um connection today we do we do (laughs) we'll ask what he would have thought of uh, her in the show i feel Uh, like he's gonna have uh strong thoughts uh hi uh, hi first of all happy birthday Happy oh, birthday. Thanks. Are you are you comfortable sharing how old you are or not so much? Oh, it's on my record, so my age is out there. Um, Great. 44. Stream my album today in my honor. Um, or hit my Venmo. It's at Tiva Robbie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm 44. It's cool to still be alive. <laughs> what do you what what do you think uh, you have learned in these 44 years? What is the biggest lesson that you'd like to pass on to a younger generation? Oh. Honestly, to to jump and trust that the net will always catch you. Um, that's awesome. truly how I've done everything in my career. Everything in my career has been me just like sort of <laughs> falling off the precipice of a cliff and believing that the net will be there. And it's so far always jump, shown up. Jump and the net will always catch you. That was actually yeah. backstage at Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark for a oh. long, long number of times. Wow. That was <laughs> a lie. Jump and... <laughs> Hopefully the network will catch you. Fucking lie. 44 years old. Well, congratulations. Yeah. Did, you, did you do anything special for your birthday? Are you planning on doing anything special for your birthday? Uh, no, because we're we're locked up. Ah. Uh, yeah. So, so, well, you can do something on your own. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm seeing you. Oh, well, that's that's not a gift. I'm so sorry. It's <laughs> honestly, any minute with you is a gift. That's any minute so... with you. <laughs> Uh, and Can you go I, on my Tinder, please, and explain that to people because <laughs> I would really appreciate the. And I also binge listening to uh, the the new podcast. What is love actually? Yes. Why don't you tell our listeners about what is love actually podcast? Can I? I shall. Can you? <laughs> um, 
So our friends Patrick Flynn and Betha Mann um, did a have done this podcast um, about the all the different storylines of what of Love Actually, and you and I are the uh, the Liev Schreiber. Um, is that who it is? Liev Schreiber. Liev Schreiber? Yes. No, 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 uh, no. No, it's um, Liam, Liam Neeson. Jesus. Although I would love to see Liam Schreiber in Love Friends? Actually. Friends, I just listened to a podcast about Scream 2, and so Cotton Weary is on the brain. Uh, <laughs> Liam Neeson. So you and I did the Liam Neeson episode uh, where I talk about how I want my funeral to just be uh, having my cremain scattered upon the waiters, uh, doing the waiter scallop in a regional production of Hello, Dolly. Um, I feel <laughs> like that's good for them. That's good for me. <laughs> We are determined to make that happen for you. Okay. I I, pro I promise. And mine just scattered at any Burger King, you know, <laughs> would be really, really great for I me. I think of you as the Burger King. Thank you. I, that makes me happy. I used to be considered as Grimace when I wore the purple sweater to know that I've, you sense. know, upgraded as the king makes me feel really good. Hey, and speaking yeah. of feeling really good, I am excited because today we are talking about something. I will be honest with you. I knew of her career before this. I did not realize the star search legacy that she has left for all of us to observe, absorb, and celebrate. And that is mm -hmm. the great Linda Etter, during her star search days, we're going to start with her Linda Etter star search days and then move forward. One of the nice things about doing this podcast is recently we've decided that it's probably better to have the guest bring to us the artifact that they want to share, which has opened the door to so many fabulous possibilities. And mm -hmm. this being the first one, Robbie, would you be so kind as to introduce our teacher for today? Our professor is, um, well, honestly, he, he, leads by example he is a shining beacon in show business who's truly done everything he's been a grammy nominee he has uh two solo albums out he's got a christmas album on the way he was on star search famously beat uh, an uh, then unknown britney spears famously and um honestly i just aspire to be more like him in my everyday life he is one of my great friends marty thomas hi marty Hi, my friends. Happy birthday, Robbie. Thanks. Marty, we are old, old, old. so, so happy to have you today. I am so happy to be had. Okay, so Marty, let's, we're going to start at the very beginning if mm -hmm. we can. How can. did you, thank you. How did you first discover Miss Etter? How did you discover Linda Etter? Um, back in the day, before everyone was scared of touching everybody and everything, there was a uh, flea market in Hell's Kitchen. I grew up here. I was a, a Broadway kid. And somewhere in late 1991, they had this September flea market on 44th Street, 44th or 45th, something like that. It was the Hell's Kitchen flea market where everybody just brought all their junk to the street and the hoarders gathered. So I was on my way to the theater and my mom and I stopped by and were just sort of perusing and we found a box of videotapes. So I recorded Star Search and Solid Gold every Saturday so I could go back and study and watch. And I was grabbing just blank video cassettes and I saw that one of them were labeled Star Search episodes. So Clearly, I bought the VHS and was like, I'm going to go home and watch it and see what gold I find. It was I, a manager or somebody had put together every performance of Linda Etter on Star Search. So I slipped it into the video player and started watching and that golden voice came out. And it was before Mariah Carey was a thing. 
and on every episode, she did a whistle tone at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I watched it day in, day out. And she was doing all these epic covers, Don't Cry Out Loud, and um, Somewhere. And then, uh, and throughout the season, you know, they would interview the the champion, before the challenger was introduced on the show, which I always thought was so dramatic too. Let's stop for a second and tell our listeners what Star Search is because they may not know. Oh, young people, Star Search was the original American Idol. It was a weekly uh, nationally televised talent show hosted by Ed McMahon, RIP. And every Saturday, there would be a champion that was um, holding down the fort, and then they would bring in a new challenger, very WWF, but for performers. And there were different categories, right? Yes, there was male vocalist, female vocalist, teen vocalist, junior vocalist, comedian, runway model, um, bands, dancers. It was just a little bit of everything. It was a variety show. And the champion would perform and then the challenger would perform and they would line up and Ed would interview them real quick. And then the judges would score them one to four, four being best, and they'd give them stars. And then the winner would come back next week and go up against the next challenger that the the TV show found. And it was before there were like, you needed to have some bizarre backstory to be on TV. You Nobody had to be dying. You didn't have to have a kid. You didn't have to be like straight up make a wish. You could just be on TV if you were a singer. Mm-hmm. And um, so I took this video home because I watched much, much like many people of that era, I watched Star Search religiously. It was like my very favorite. And I never wanted to miss it. And it always aired during matinees. So I would record it every week. I took this video home and stuck it in and they introduced Linda Etter. I was like, okay, show me what you got. And she had so much. And mm-hmm. every week you would see, the more I watched it, I started like mental noting all of the gay details because she would mix and match costume pieces. She mm-hmm. had this like black leather wrap skirt and then several different tops. And she always had a rhinestone earring in the shape of, of the letter A. I always just imagined that her best friend who had nice stuff was named Amy. <laughs> And she was like, I need something nice to wear. I'm going to be on Star Search. So, and I I even, when Google became a thing, I was like thinking back on it. I wonder if her middle name is Angela or something. It's not. I looked it up. (laughs) So I really would love to know what the A earrings meant. Linda. Yeah, come on, Linda. The most fascinating thing, I mean, there are way more fascinating things because I've become a lifelong fan. But in the course of these videos, it just, it keeps moving and keeps moving. And every week they interview her and she gets a little more confident. But this woman was terrified of microphones and human beings. So it was just so heartwarming and beautiful to see how nervous she was with such an amazing instrument. And in so many ways, it really kind of crafted my onstage persona and a lot of my vocal choices and stylings based on what she did on Star Search because I studied it so heavily. Now, through the season, the way that the show worked is the two contestants who won the most episodes would battle each other in the semifinals. And then, you know, they would go up against another group of semifinals and there was the finals for a hundred grand. Well, there was nobody to battle her because she won the whole season. Wow. So when she got to uh, semifinals, 
they were like, we're just going to let her sing a longer song. And they clearly had a stylist step in because she had this epic, like, Morticia, but in bright Christmas white, uh, rouged gown and an updo and the earrings. And she <laughs> sang I Dreamed a Dream from Les Mis, the whole song. Which on Star Search, they gave you a time limit. You could only do, I think it was a minute and a half, something like that. But she did the whole song because she had no competition and they brought a grand piano on stage and it was back in the days of corded microphones. So I just really enjoyed seeing how she worked the cord. I always thought that was so glamorous. <laughs> it looked like Judy Garland. And, you know, years later, I found out that Judy Garland was Linda's biggest inspiration. So I like to imagine Linda watching Judy's Star Search videos. <laughs> Now, I, oh, sorry, yes. No, no. Well, uh, so I am a car-carrying massive fan of Linda to the point where, like, I own maxi singles of, like, every dance track that would be remixed of, like, Something to Believe in and Vienna and Oh Holy Night. Like, I, I own everything. I have never thought to myself, I should go on YouTube and watch her Star Search stuff ever which is bizarre to me. So I'm so grateful that you brought this to, when I sent you the text, like, uh, what do you want to talk about? And you were like, honestly, Linda Eder on Star Search. I was like, yo, great. Let's make that happen. So oh, she I, is, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. Professor Thomas, I just, I just had a question <laughs> for you, if, if I may. So she was, am I, am I correct in saying that she became famous from Star Search? She wasn't really famous before this. Is that correct? And that's what yes, led to the recording I, career? As a Lindologist, I can speak yeah. to the fact that she was not famous before this because she kept talking about, um, where was it she was from? Is it Milwaukee? Is it, is it yeah, Wisconsin? It starts with an M. Hold on. It's, uh, because she's, I, she's from Minnesota. Minnesota, yes, but she'd Minnesota. say that where she was Brainerd, from on the Brainerd. show. Brainerd. She's from. It, it, she never I, said that. She said Minnesota on the show, uh -huh. and she'd always talk about how she uh, grew up not being able to sing in front of people because she was too shy. So she would mm -hmm. sing for the horses and the cows, and she would sing in the barn and give the farm concerts, and that's how she rehearsed <laughs> um, for Star Search and otherwise. Uh, so she definitely was not connected with wild horn or the broadway world whatsoever she was straight out of compton minnesota wow. and she uh took to the airwaves and this was in a time i think it was the season of 88 88 yes yep. yeah um and she i fully think that star search was her discovering platform there are so many um unanswered questions about her star search days that i have spent time basically writing fan fiction about because I imagine her shopping for the outfits and who she took with her and like, where did you shop in Minnesota in 1988? And did you just wait till you got to Hollywood? Cause star search, like, especially after I performed on the show, they fly you in three and a half minutes before they push you on stage. Yeah, you so never leave the studios. Once you win one episode, they take you to the hotel and bring you back a few hours later and send you back out to another challenger. It's exhausting. Can Let's we, talk about yes. your days on Star Search. Okay. Okay. Um, so what year were you? 92. And had you already done Broadway at all? Yes, I was... Um, I had gotten booked on Star Search. I would send tapes in every Saturday, like the show would say. Uh, if you'd like to be on the show, send a cassette tape to Star Search in Hollywood Boulevard or blah, blah, blah. 
And so I would send cassette tapes every week. And I got called in 89 to do the show, something like that. So the year after Linda. Yes, 89 or 90, somewhere in there. I was doing a show at Starlight Theater in Kansas City. And, you know, you're under contract. You're doing a show. Mm -hmm. I can't leave. So um, it was devastating because Star Search was the dream of any singer in 88, 90, whatever. And um, when I did move to New York, when I booked Secret Garden, my mom took a cassette tape to the Star Search offices, the New York offices, and just said, hey, you asked him to be on the show a few years ago. What do you think? And they called. I was home alone at the time in Hell's Kitchen. And I picked up the phone, thought my brother was punking me, and hung up on him three times. (laughs) He finally called back and he was like, do not hang up. I am not your brother. (laughs) Uh, And it was like a situation of we need a contestant for the last episode of 92, literally in two days. You think you can do it? And we figured it out. I don't remember how exactly, but I had a music teacher at performing professional performing arts school who helped me get my first arrangement together. And we flew to LA and did the deal. And what was the first the first song you sang on air? The first song was called The Time Is Now. It was an original song um, about saving the world. It's very 2020, very ahead of its time. Lyrics, the time is now, let's do all we can. Heavenly Father, please help us to save humanity. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow, Deep they were positioning you as like a Billy Gilman. Sort of, yes. Remember well, Billy? way before Billy Gilman yeah, was a yeah, thing. Yeah. And what was Ed like? (laughs) Yes. Ed was awesome. I've heard horror stories from other people about interactions with him. I really have. Uh, But he couldn't have been more of a a dream to me and all the other juniors. Like, he just seemed like Santa. He was so kind, so complimentary, took so much time to say hello and take pictures with people. He was like the perfect celebrity. I've only heard nice things about him. I'm su- I'm surprised anyone would say anything negative about Ed. I, you know, I am too. But like, when you're in a family of things like Star Search, Star Search is a really specific thing that was a specific window of time. So the people who are still performing that were on Star Search, we all know each other. Mm. And um, it, so like you hear horror stories from other people that I just didn't experience. What was it specifically about Linda, other than the voice that really just like drew you in and said you? I've always been super drawn to the yin and yang of a singer. Mm -hmm. I love a singer who has the ability to go from a very typically masculine energy of really ballsy belting, power singing and be able to on the on a dime be able to turn that into the softest most feminine um sweet sound uh of having that broad range of the spectrum you know Mm -hmm. so i was always drawn to billy porter and to linda edder and uh these giant voices mariah carey whitney celine dion the voices that could take you um, from romantic to get out of my fucking house so fast. (laughs) (laughs) And when you got to college, is that when you started to figure out that you were gay or did that take a while? Okay. I mean, I knew in high school, I was just in deep, deep, um, denial and, uh, 
living in a very country western town like Branson where it is not okay and it's dangerous and my hometown felt like I just don't think it would have been possible for me to come out because as much as everybody knew I was gay as long as I denied it I wasn't in imminent mm. danger were there any people that were out in your town or in your community mm -mm. nothing no, you had to leave my town to come out. Now, fascinatingly, I released an album on Broadway Records last year about my experience coming out and my experience in a small town as a gay man and my coming of age experience. And shortly after the record was released, I got a call from my high school that uh, a woman that I went to high school with had been moved by my story and been moved by the whole experience. And uh, they started a gay straight alliance in my high school. Wow! Can and I would just speak to them. And I send them pizzas and things when they meet. They've uh, been met with a lot of opposition, but that's how it starts. I, that's th incredible. That's really, really incredible. How did your 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 parents take to you? Not well. <laughs> <laughs> that was a whistle tone, actually. Yes. Right? There. He finally got a whistle tone. <laughs> It was, uh, it was just not great. It was really bad for a long time. And there's still issues. Um, my mom and dad are really cool. They're just product of where they were raised. And so I think for a long time, they were just very worried that I wouldn't have a happy life and that I wouldn't be able to have a career. And I think now that worry isn't as severe. For for people that are struggling with this sort of relationship between, you know, an, an out child and, and parents who, like you said, are products of their generation or their upbringing, what tips or advice do you have to sort of help bridge that that gap? I think honesty and communication is key. I feel like if I had felt as though I had a better bridge of communication with my parents and felt safe to talk to them about things, things wouldn't have been as dark and dangerous. I feel like I had heard too many times, heard my parents judging people for the way they looked or who they were, who they voted for, that I knew that my coming out process was going to be horrible and difficult. Um, so had I felt like I had a more open communication and that I could tell them anything and still be loved, uh, I do feel like it would have been quicker. Uh, but with my personal experience, um, I was proven right that love was withheld for quite some time when I came out. Um, and uh, so I, I just feel like it's um, honesty is the key. The second that I started saying, um, well, not the second, it was the beginning when I started saying, that's cool. You do you. I'm going to go do me. Uh, when I made it clear that I wasn't going to meet them in the middle at all. Um, they started to try to come a little closer. Mm, mm. And when you were not getting that sort of support from your parents or originally, where were you going for sort of mentorship and support from an older, an older generation or? My older sister is gay. My older sister, Julia. And uh, my last year of college, we lived together in Kansas City where she lives. And that was a great mentorship for me. It was awesome to get to see her experience through a different lens. Um, she's nine years older than I am, so she was out of the house for most of my childhood. Um, so she showed me a different world. And I discovered this really rich, gay nightlife in Kansas City. Um, at the time, there were just countless gay nightclubs, giant giant nightclubs. There was one called the Cabaret Complex that I was in love with. They would have drag shows every night. And on Sundays, they would have a beer bus that was a benefit. 
and they would have performers just all day. Uh, and I, I was living my best life. It looked like an episode of Queer's Folk. It was just the craziest <laughs> disco lights and a DJ 10 miles above the dance floor. And it had a huge dance room and then like a leather room and a pool room. And it had an 80s room and a restaurant. It was wild. Oh, I love that. So you found your community there. I did. In Kansas City is where I really came I, into my own. Uh, the idea that your school has now started a, a gay-straight alliance is is so incredibly moving. What do you think that community also needs to help sort of push this acceptance idea along? Representation. It's just so important. They need to see there are just so many people that think that they hate demographics of other humans until they're, they encounter them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you hate a black person, you hate a Mexican person, you hate an Asian person. And then somebody wonderful steps in front of you that isn't a vilified figure in the press or the news. And you go, oh, wait, you're a human being with parents and dreams and a history, a rich history and an opinion. And maybe I don't blanket hate so much. So I do think that... um, there are so many people who say, yes, I'm scared of and I dislike gay people, but not you. You're one of the good ones. And you're like, uh, I'm going to need you to read a book, sir. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned your fantastic album, Slow Dancing with a Boy. But I want to talk about the genesis of that album, because the backstory is why uh, when you brought it to me and said, would you release this? I said yes immediately, other than your fucking incredible vocals. Oh, thank you, friend. Um, Tell, tell our listeners what the backstory of the album is. The, the, the base of the project started reading a um, HuffPost-style clickbaity article that was about um, this kid that went to prom. And the picture that got you to clickbait was clearly a boy that went to prom with another boy. So I clicked in and somewhere subconsciously was thinking, I really hope they didn't hurt him too bad. I hope these boys are okay. It's a bummer. Because I just assumed, why would they even write this article if it was just like he went to the prom and I was so confused reading it because the top of the article was a picture of his parents like taking their picture at the top of the stairs and I was like they told their parents and then taking their picture getting into the car to go to prom and then they're dancing at the prom and people are dancing right next to them not like 10 feet away figuring out if it's okay or safe and one of them won prom king and it started to it started to like marinate that these this is just an article a slice of life article about two kids going to prom and it just so happens that it's two boys there is nowhere in this article that is like patting themselves on the back for covering a gay story saying good job to this high school you guys are awesome it was none of that it was just it could have been anyone and i had such a wild journey of accepting that article that I was on one hand so moved that times have gotten so much better for kids and different and but the bulk of me was so mad at those boys I was pissed because I just started to realize that I had been robbed of a coming of age experience that was due me that I had every right to experience And somehow along my journey in the church and in my farm family, I had been convinced that I was not valid and that I didn't deserve that experience like 
other kids did. That because those kids were born straight, they deserved those coming of age experiences and those that, that those beautiful moments were reserved only for the straight kids. The gay kids were, and I somehow just resigned myself to being okay with that. Like I made this choice. I don't, I don't deserve it anyway. So I've either got to live a lie or figure out how to work around it. It's crazy. So um, I, in the manifestation of this idea and this thought process, I started going back to those school dances and those coming of age experiences like the prom. And every time a song would come on that would take me back to the 90s or the 80s when I was in school and growing up, that would remind me of really specific moments, it would break my heart. So I started grabbing the arrangements one by one and deconstructing them and putting them back together in a way that tried to pull the song out of the darkness and into the light for me uh, to try to recreate that experience and take it back. Because obviously, you know, I can't go back and relive it again, mm -hmm. but I can choose, I can decide what I choose to do with that. That's fantastic. And the name of the album again is? Slow Dancing with a Boy. Slow Dancing with a Boy. And Robbie, available on your label, right? It's on Broadway Records. The other wonderful thing that Marty did was when he released the album, he created a concert for it that was a second chance prom. I did, yes. We hired a DJ and a prom photographer and a decorating committee. And uh, we did, of course, a concert of the music from the, the album. But then it transitioned into a party band. And we all stayed around and had a school dance after. And we invited everybody to get dressed up and take their second shot at prom. If ever your prom wasn't the perfect experience for you, let's recreate it. It was awesome. We did it at the green room in New York and um, it was beautiful. I love that. I it was really magical. It really was. So Marty, <laughs> we haven't even discussed the fact that when you did star search, you were um, your challenger was a, a gay icon as well. He is at the time, not so much, but she is now. Uh, she yeah. was the champion. I was the challenger coming into the battle. Oh, Britney Spears has, it turns out she's done quite well for herself. She's doing okay. Oh, good for her. <laughs> but there is a magical photo of you in a bolo tie winning. The bolo tie was a gift from my grandfather. Oh. Because uh, we're country. The suit was a very 80s waiter tux. Um, that for whatever reason, that was what I wore to my sister's wedding. And I thought it was fly as hell. Um, but I also didn't understand that it didn't quite fit. I, <laughs> I think you look great. Okay, so you, you got to work with this gay icon, not a gay icon at the time. What was, what was she like? What, she what awesome. did you sing? What did you sing to, to, to knock her out? Oh, I sang that song I was talking about earlier, The Time Is Now. Great. Yeah, uh, uh, and she sang "Love Can Build a Bridge" by the Judds. We just had a really similar background. Our parents were Southern. Um, they had a lot in common. Uh, not only that they were country and Southern, but that they both had kids that wanted to be performers and were working really hard at it. So we uh, kept in great touch, and we would always stay with each other in New York um, and visit each other's families. Uh, she moved to New York not long after Star Search, and she booked Ruthless. She was uh, she and Natalie Portman were Laura Bell Bundy's understudies. Wild, <laughs> I know, right? And um, she left. She just had a had a bad day, had a bad week. She wanted to go home for Christmas, and they were telling a ten year old girl she had to work. Oh. 
And uh, she sort of had a moment and quit on the spot and they went home for Christmas and, you know, who could blame her? She's 10. And shortly after, um, it was only a few years before she booked Mickey Mouse Club. And things really just started rolling for her after that. Good for her. Good for yeah, her. Good for her. I would, I, I'd like to ask you another Star Search question, if I may. Um, can you please explain to our listeners, you said before there was all these different categories. Um, what exactly was the spokesmodel category? That's an excellent question. Um, <laughs> it, it was a modeling category, but not just physical beauty. They also mm. had to be able to speak. So they would, oh. uh, the contestants would do like a modeling video, like a very glamour shots video where they would be just suspiciously in a bikini on a hay bale or on a bed of ferns. Um, and they would have a lot of fog and laser lights. And they would do like a very sexy video of them modeling the hottest swimwear of the day and maybe an evening gown. And then they would each one at a time come out and introduce the commercial break. Ah. And that, to the best of my knowledge, is the entire breakdown of the spokesmodel category. Well, <laughs> listeners, we'd like to challenge you. Um, if you can create a spokesmodel video for us selling this podcast, we will be more than happy to send you a copy of Marty's CD. That will be your gift. So please <laughs> yes, it will. submit a spokesmodel uh, commercial for our podcast, and you might get one of Marty's CDs. Amen. I just realized that the first Broadway show I ever saw was stocked with Star Search winners. What'd you yeah. say? Grease, 94 Grease oh, was Sam Harris, Billy Porter, Rosie O'Donnell, all one Star Search. That's true. Um, I was on Star Search with Billy Porter. I was also on, of course, with Britney Spears, with Jordan Hill, who recorded Remember Me This Way with David Foster on the Casper soundtrack, with Beth Hart, one of my favorite singers of all time. She was in Love Janice way back when, but she's a iconic Janis Joplin style rocker. Um, so many big names were on uh, that season. But in your heart still, Linda Etter is the end-all and be-all winner of Star Search. Is that right? She is... Forevermore. Forevermore. Like always my Star Search winner. So, Jenna. Marty is such a fan that uh, Marty saw Linda at 54 last year. I gave and, them all of my money. And, and uh, she announced an album went on sale what, at the beginning of this week. And I sent Marty a text and he said, be right back ordering. Good. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, because she doesn't have a label anymore. She self-releases everything. Right. And you don't always know when she's releasing something because she's not very good at social media. No, she's <laughs> not. Secretive. She's, she's secretive. not prolific. Yeah, for sure. Mar Marty, let me ask you. So let's imagine someone has never seen Linda Etter on Star Search and you only have one video to show oh. them. This is her. This is the only video they get to see that shows her brilliance. What would that video be, Marty? Oh, that is so hard because the moment she sang I Dreamed a Dream was so glamorous and glorious and she was the most confident she had been. But I think she's so much sweeter early in the season in the Amy earrings singing Come In From The Rain. Mm. And I would say Come In From The Rain. She's just so gloriously innocent. And with that iconic voice, it's really cool. So you're going with Coming From The Rain. Robbie, what about you? 
I think it's going to be a dream to dream. I rewatched them all uh, this morning. Um, some kind homosexual has made a playlist on YouTube. Yes, you rewire. Thank all. you. God bless. Uh, so you know, I'm just watching her over and over in that red dress because um, <laughs> she did like three songs in that dress. Um, she's spectacular. It's also fascinating too because I saw a her very early preview of Jekyll and Hyde. Um, but Linda was, she was on stage, but she was not singing. She got laryngitis. And so Emily Skinner was singing into a microphone backstage, which is fascinating to me. Yeah. Uh, why? <laughs> what? She got laryngitis. It was very early in previews and they had not run Emily through the show yet. And there were all these traps and fogs and things. And Emily was like, I, I can't go on. I don't know it. Uh, so Emily did her ensemble track and then would run off stage to a microphone and Linda would lip sync to Emily Skinner's voice. And if you know, like Emily Skinner's voice or, you know, Linda Edder's voice, they are wildly different. So when Very her different. mouth opened and a whole different noise came out of it, it was mind blowing to me. And at the time you already knew Linda Edder's voice, you were familiar? I knew because uh, my intro to Linda Edder, oh, we didn't even talk about this. Um, my intro to Linda Edder was that double disc Jekyll and Hyde CD that came out like two years before Broadway. So may, may we go back very quickly, Robbie, yeah. and explain how she goes from Star Search to Broadway Star? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so in doing Star Search, she gains national notoriety. And uh, at the same time, she's auditioning for this musical, Jekyll and Hyde, uh, that Frank Wildhorn and Leslie Brickus are writing. Leslie Brickus, who... Um, wrote uh, Candyman and uh, uh, Pure Imagination for um, Willy Wonka, Charlie and Chocolate Factory, um, and, and a bunch of Broadway shows. Uh, they're developing this new show of Jekyll and Hyde, and it's going to be done like at Theater Under the Stars in Houston. Is that Houston? It's Texas, somewhere in Texas. Texas. Yeah. So anyway, um, and she walks into audition, and uh, Frank says, I have found my muse. This is this is my muse. And um, ultimately, they ended up getting married. He writes this role for her, this role that Hell really. No. Yes, this this role that really doesn't exist in the novella. Um, they just build for her. Uh, she gets these stunning songs out of it. Um, not an actress, Arlinda, but an excellent, excellent singer. Um, they record not one, not two, but three albums before they hit Broadway. They keep recording concept album after concept album, uh, retooling the show. Finally, it ends up on Broadway. Uh, she's uh, magnificent. And at the same time, um, she released what I think is her best album, which is uh, And So Much More. And what is, uh, what's the theme of And So Much More? Uh, it's, it's sort of... Is it of... eclectic? It's very eclectic. I, like, all of her albums are eclectic. They're yeah. all very stylized in mm -hmm. big band vocal yeah. themes, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. they're all kind of, I think that's why I release such eclectic projects is loving that she can do anything she wants to do. Anything mm -hmm. at all. I'm just, I'm in love with her. And then you, you know, I would hear her on, on the dance floor, like uh, with Havana 
and uh, never dance away that you uh, it was like a dance remix and then of course the dance remix of um, I am what I am because she's a gay icon because yeah. she's a gay icon so she, through star search she gets the eye of Frank Wildhorn is what you're yep. saying mm-hmm. they, and and she's not known as an actress per se this is her first like yeah I think she's pretty much still not known as an actress <laughs> <No>. <laughs> She only ever did one other acting thing. Well, two. And they were both Frank Wildhorn projects. One was Camille Claudel at Goodspeed. And one was... Scarlett uh, Pimpernel. No, she never did the the full musical. She just did that album. But oh, she did right. Spengali, which uh, you can hear a little bit of on her Greatest Hits album. And I, Just for the record, I, I did that. not hate Linda Edder's acting in Jekyll and Hyde. I, I loved every second. I would just call Sit. it... Subtle. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I think it was nice to have some groundedness mm-hmm. in, in such an epic show. Sure. Recording career too has been fascinating because every album like jumps. So like she recorded that country album and she recorded that Judy Garland tribute album. Marty, I would like to hear your Linda Etter tribute album. Oh God. I mean, I, I would have a tough time whittling down the material. Yeah. I loved her version of Across the Water. Awesome. Oh, it's so beautiful. Um, She has so many great songs, anthems. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, she's known for her covers. Yeah. Theater music and classic music that, um, but she's got some great original tunes. That's true. Yeah, for sure. I, I wanted to go back, if I can, really quickly. I forgot to tell you what my favorite oh, Linda yeah. Edder star search is. And I don't know. Is this going to be controversial? Probably. Looking Through the Eyes of Love. So good. Mm-hmm. The theme from Ice Castles. Come on. Ice Castle is one of the most underrated films of the 20th century. She had this moment where she did her star search moment in that song where she was like, it seems like she's going to wrap up the song, but it's looking through the eyes of the Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she pulled the microphone about 10 feet away from her mouth because they didn't have compression back then. (laughs) Her her mic technique is pretty fantastic. It's really great. The hilarious thing is she still uses that same pull the microphone 10 feet away from her while she mic technique. tips her head when we no longer need that mic technique but i love it on her everything she does is just mm-hmm. perfect in my eyes gold 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 L- i saw her the eyes of Linda. i saw her at 54 below uh and one of the songs she she needed to sing to track like she had her band of five people and then the strings were all on track uh it was uh as if we never said goodbye um, from Sunset Boulevard, and try as they might, they could not get the track to sing for some reason. Mm-hmm. And she, they did it like she started that song three times, and then she was like, mm, "You know what? We're just going to do it with the band." And it was so thrilling that it, she didn't need it. Mm-hmm. She didn't need it. She's got the yeah. voice that can do anything. I agree. So, I love her whole album of "It's No Secret Anymore." Mm-hmm. Her Christmas album I listen to all the time. That bells, the bells of Saint Paul, yeah, is such an anthem. And I love Gold, the whole mm-hmm. album of Gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, Storybook is a her devastating album. It it was back when she had graphic designers doing her album covers. They now, were so good. I think she might be doing them herself. Maybe. Broadway My Way is such a good record. Mm. I want all Broadway mm-hmm. to be Linda Edder's way. Come on. Yes. Broadway My Way. 
Yes, uh-huh. it's um she sings anthem from chess on it. Uh yeah. It's stunning. I ran on my parade, which uh-huh. I controversially like her version better than Barbara's. <laughs> Great. Yeah, Marty she does I am what I am that also got remixed. I'll shut up now. No, no, Marty, I was gonna ask you a question. Let's imagine that uh you get to sing a duet with Miss Edder. Any song mm, you want, mm-hmm. any style. What is that duet going to be? Um, you know, I love all of those. Uh, in, in the early 2000s, you weren't a recording artist if you didn't have a Latin hit. Mm. And so Frank wrote her two. Havana. She sang yeah. Never Dance and Havana. And I mm-hmm. love her getting um, all uh, Latin. But my all-time favorite song by Linda Etter that I would live to sing with her, Vienna. Uh, oh! Uh, uh, it's so good. Like even now is a close second, same record, yeah. but Vienna is my all time. Like it's, I often cry w- during the instrumental. Mm-hmm. When the, the strings pick up and start going faster. It kills me. It's so good. I own a dance remix of that as well. Amen. Yeah. I I am obsessed. There is so much I I am not as familiar with Miss Edder's work as the two of you are. So I feel like I've got so much homework to do. I got so much to catch up on. Honestly, give us back your gay card. I'm you know my big gay time, card is big time. Such a good one. Big time. Uh, yeah. The whole come on. Honestly, the only album of hers that I don't revisit is the very first one. What's the very first one? Is that and so much more? No, it's called uh, Linda Edder. Um, and the only great things that were on it were um, Vienna, Vienna, and someone like you. Uh, maybe yeah. I loved that record too, but okay, I hear you. It's just and not that was another record that I think she might have designed. <laughs> it was like on Atlantic. Uh, it was her very first one, so they didn't really put too much stock in it. Um, you know, it was pre. Um, it was before Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, yeah. Uh, someone like you is like on there as a bonus track. It's, but then she later re-recorded Vienna and re-recorded someone like you, you know, with bigger orchestras and things like that. And she's just, it's spectacular. She's spectacular. On that first album, I remember seeing that um, someone like you isn't even listed as being from Jekyll and Hyde. It's just yeah. someone like you. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Is there like a musical that you would love to see her do that she has not done yet? Like what I is mean, what, what score would be serviced incredibly well by her voice? I mean, she has all a score, but Hello Dolly, I would them. love to see her give a go because I would love to see her take on not only that music but that that role. Who knows what would happen? Mm. Huh? Mm. I want to hear her sing chess. Like yes, nobody's side. I'd love to see her sing. I miss the mountains. Oh yeah, I'd like to go back a couple of years and see her do Alphaba. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to fight you on that one. <laughs> with, with, really? with, 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 with Christiane Knoll as uh, Glinda? I, I <laughs> we'll just see, do a reunion? I can definitely see Linda covering oh, the music. Uh, uh, I, I just see, do not see. see her in that role at all. So can we just have her record the the, uh, the music and she doesn't have to perform? Linda can record every song That's ever conceived. Doing. I am totally down with her never stepping a foot out of the recording studio. Ever. Yeah. So, Marty, for people that don't 
that don't know her, and maybe this episode is their first introduction to her. Why is she a gay icon? Why why do you have to to be aware of her? She she has a um, a song catalog of anthems that, like I said, I really feel like a lot of people subconsciously are drawn to the yin and yang singers, those teeny tiny, um, that ability to hold you in the palm of their hands, both with strength and fragility is such a rare, uh, a, a rare skill that's achieved by a singer. It's just not common. It's Shoshana Beans, it's uh, Shana Steeles, it's Linda Edder, Celine Dion, those, those powerful voices that can also just be tender. Um, and she also picks intensely iconic gay material to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are two of the reasons. She's just got a timbre that's so epic. It, it just transcends boundaries and transcends genres. And why do you think so many in the gay community are drawn to her specifically? That's a good question because I don't recall ever hearing Linda step out and really speak up for gay rights or anything like that. I just love that she's a diva of a certain generation that's never spoken out against us. And the fact that she'll record I Am What I Am and um, and she will perform for gay events. And uh, it, that's, that speaks highly mm-hmm. for divas from her generation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, Marty... This has been a damn joy. Tell everybody how they can find you. You can find me on my website, martythomas.com. I'm on Instagram at martythomasloveyou. We have a new record coming out. Yeah. Uh, it was dropped two days ago uh, for pre-order that my best friend Marissa Rosen and I released a holiday album called the, the award-winning holiday album. Uh, it, pre-sales of the physical copies are on my website, martythomas.com, but it'll be available Next week, the first week of December, um, we're hoping for the 5th. That's our prayer uh, on all streaming sites everywhere. But if you would be so kind to support an artist and buy a physical copy, uh, you can buy that today. I would and be super grateful. You have, I've heard it, and it's really wonderful. Tell, tell them uh, some of the people who are on it. Oh, we can't announce them yet. Oh, really? Yes, we have some Broadway diva icons, uh, some really amazing, amazing special guests, but we're not announcing them until next week. So I can't announce the guests, but we do have, uh, we didn't go with typical holiday material. We really tried to think outside the box. I created a a disco Hanukkah bop for Marissa. Thank God. I know. Let's bring Hanukkah to the dance floor where it belongs. I think there was a hole in the market for disco Hanukkah bop. And listen, if there's a hole, I'll fill it. (laughs) (laughs) That's honestly the uh, tagline of this podcast. (laughs) And we sing a lot of duets. And then um, there are several, uh, we each take turns doing solos. But every time we're singing a solo, the other one is doing 900 backup vocals in the back. You know, Marty, you said something that I think is really important that I would love for you to explain just a little bit more. You said, you know, buy a physical copy to support an artist. Can you explain why a digital copy copy does not do the same thing? I can. Um, you know, for the consumer, it's so easy to jump on Spotify or jump on YouTube Music or just listen to things and not have to store them. But the problem is if we don't support artists, especially independent artists, they aren't able to make more music for us to listen to. So 
by buying a physical CD, you're giving a gigantic portion of what you're spending directly to the artist. And this album that I self-produced and self-released, 100% of the proceeds are going to pay for studio time, for engineers, for musicians, and the thousands of dollars it costs to make a record. Uh, if you're listening to a Spotify song, I get a fraction of a penny for that listen and even for the whole record so we have we don't make any money off of digital streaming and it's really important for music to be streamed and we're grateful that people consume music that way but if you want to support an artist you find their physical music or at least buy the digital download on itunes mm -hmm. uh, and even better find their patreon accounts right now during a time when artists are absolutely in the gutter the gutter and uh, you can find Patreon accounts for artists and support them and help them to make more music. You can find Indiegogo campaigns and GoFundMes. Marissa and I funded this ourselves. So we are really reaching out to our fan base and new friends that uh, if you would support the arts and buy an album, they're only 10 bucks. We would love to ship it to your house with a little extra love from our home to yours. Love that. Marty, thank you so, so much. So we will post links for everyone so you can go purchase these wonderful things mm -hmm. and support Marty and other artists. So Marty, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, beautiful. I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for having me. We're so happy to have you. And Marissa says she loves you too. Oh, I love her. She's such a talented person. Isn't oh she? God, it's ridiculous how talented she is. We're going to post her stuff as well so you can take a look at Marissa and also discover another genius. Um, Robbie, what is our homework? After we uh, we come back, what's our homework? Oh, we are talking with Ryan Haddad about I Love Lucy. The wonderful oh, Ryan Haddad. Yeah. Um, who's got an amazing career going for right? himself. The um, politician. The politician. Guy. His one-man show, which if you've not seen it, is absolutely fantastic. And we'll talk more about him with him next week. He's but extraordinary. He yeah. is, isn't he? So brush up, folks, on your I Love Lucy. And we're going to talk about why Lucy... Is a gay icon, if not for MAME, her TV show, if nothing else. Certainly not for MAME, no. but for that television show, 100. <laughs> All I, right. I moved into an apartment on 49th and uh, 10th when I was doing Xanadu, and my next door neighbor and I were chatting, and she was saying, you know, we were just talking, and then the next day I saw her pop up on a red carpet for an opening night, a Broadway opening night, and I was like, hmm, who are you? And she was like, oh, it's not for me. It's probably just for my, my mom and grandma. I was like, oh, okay. Google, Google, Google. She is Lucy's granddaughter. Oh. Like, I live next door to Lucy's granddaughter. Oh, my gosh. Wow. You're the Ethel. Marty's <laughs> the Ethel. You are. So cool. Well, Marty's always been the Ethel, to be fair. <laughs> if I had a nickel. <laughs> <laughs> So listen, like, subscribe, share uh, our podcast, follow us at G Revoked, follow Marty. Marty Thomas loves you. Um, it's my birthday, so hit Happy my Venmo. That'd be nice. Uh, and uh, well, we'll, we will, put the, we'll put all of these in the description for you folks. So you just have to clink and clink, let, clink, clink, clink. Just I'm clink thinking of glasses. Through. Just clink glasses. I've been. What's happening? I've been drinking, apparently. I didn't realize. Oh, we didn't even have a drink. Click. Listen, we didn't have a drink this week. I apologize. But well, you know, yeah. it's my birthday. Raise a glass of something you love. Robbie, what's your go-to drink? Everyone oh, can make that. It's always a Negroni. So make a Negroni. Salute yeah. to Robbie. Turn on Linda Etter and be a happy person.
Honestly, yeah. I'm going to put some vodka in a Capri yeah. Sun and celebrate <laughs> you, Robbie. That makes sense. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> I love you guys, and we'll talk to you soon. Happy birthday, Robbie. Take care. <laughs>